0: As we come now to the scripture, let's uh, pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, um, your word is grace to us. It's the very grace of acceptance as your children, even though we don't deserve it and deserve the opposite yet. Your word comes to us and speaks that word of grace, and it's that word implanted in us that gives new life for that we're grateful. And it's your word of empowering grace as well that enables us to follow you, to live in such a way that's pleasing to you. It gives instruction, of course, on what we're to do, but it also gives The power of your spirit at work within us, forming Christ in us, that we may live according to your word. So please help us now, I pray. Work all of that grace in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to please to Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians in chapter 4, please. I want to read again, as I have been, pardon my voice, as I have been, from verse 17 in chapter 4 to chapter 5 and verse 2, please. This is the word of God. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. And sacrifice to God. And together we say, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now I want, if God will help me, to take up just really verses 26 and 27. I mentioned them before our time of confession, just to sort of have that on our minds for confession. And now, Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, um, the reason that the apostle is writing about this, about anger, is because he's teaching us how we're now to live as those who belong to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying now, as believers in Jesus, this is how you're to live. Now, remember, it flows out of what Christ has done in, for and in us. That is, that in his dying and rising, you know, our old self was crucified. Our new self was risen. So now we're to live in this newness of life. This new life that's being created in the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. And So what he's saying to us is now, as those who belong to Jesus, we're to um, live, if you will, in the likeness of God. That is... In the image of God. Now, you remember in creation, that's how it began. We were to image him. We were to reflect God in our lives. You know, Adam sinned and it ruined that, if you will. Our ability and even desire to glorify God. And now you see it's being restored in Jesus. So he says, now we're being created in the likeness of God. Uh, in true righteousness and holiness. And so he's saying now in this restoration through Jesus, now that we belong to him, this is how we're, we're to live. And so here, what we have in these verses is, uh, very, very, is the specifics, if you will, on how we're to live. Because we're to live in righteousness and holiness. That is, we're to live reflecting God. But there's a second aspect to this living as well, as you remember. Because... In this restoration, not only are we restored to God and therefore to live out our lives in righteousness and holiness, but also we're to do this together. That always in the mind of God, to love, to be a community of, to to love as He loves, we needed to be a community of people to love. And so He has reconciled us not only to God, but to others, other believers. So all who believe in Jesus and are Thus reconciled to God and joined with him are joined with each other as well because we have one father and therefore we're all in the same household. And so we're to live together, righteousness and holiness. In this unity. And they go together, of course, because we can't experience this unity. We can't really know it unless we're living righteously. Last Sunday, we talked about we're not to deceive, but we're to speak the truth, you see. Well, if, if we lie as a community, we deceive one another as a community, then, then, then there's no unity here. You can't trust people who lie. And so we're to live in truth, and so we're to speak the truth. And so that truth-telling and truthful living uh, um, uh, strengthens, if you will, the unity of... Of the spirit that we have. Remember Paul said that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And thus we should be eager to live in holiness. Thus we should be eager not to deceive one another but to speak the truth. And we have to then, he says, watch our anger. He says we have to watch our anger. Now when he says here in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. He's not commanding us to be angry right? He's saying anger happens. Uh, we, we find uh, situations and people precipitating from us feelings of, of anger. So if it's like five o'clock one afternoon and you haven't gotten angry at anybody, don't say, well, I got to find somebody to be mad at here and you know, be angry. No, he's not commanding us to be angry. He's just saying eh, anger is, if you will. And there is righteous anger and unrighteous anger, right? There's, there's anger that is good. God's anger is good anger. God gets angry. In fact, in chapter 5, in verse 6, uh, Paul writes, That no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath is poured out. He's angry. In a righteous way, his wrath is his righteous response to sin and disobedience. Right? Uh, and it, the Bible refers to it as wrath. Now, we'll see in a minute that human wrath isn't usually like God's wrath. God's wrath is always appropriate. It's always measured. right? It's always righteous. It's always appropriate for the situation. And, and God's... Anger is is a pure anger. He's angry against that which is contrary to his glory or contrary to all that is right. And so when there's something that's contrary to that which is right, contrary to that which is love, contrary to that which is good, then there's this righteous anger. And we can see the anger of God throughout the scripture and most particularly ultimately in judgment. And it's good anger. Jesus was angry. You remember there was a time that there was a man whose hand the scripture says was withered, crippled, and the man was in the synagogue and, 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 and the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the synagogue were using that situation and that man's difficulty to test Jesus, to, to see if he'd do something wrong, right? Which to them was healing this man's hand on the Sabbath. Go figure. Jesus, the scripture says, was angered and grieved. He was angered at their lack of compassion, no doubt, for this man. And he was angered for their um, desire to trick him, the very son of God, and not trust him. Probably the most famous aspect of Jesus' anger, I suppose, is when on one occasion, maybe two, he went into uh, the temple area and uh, um, uh, there were people fraudulently and blasphemously buying and selling uh, animals and so forth for sacrifice and exchanging money for the temple tax. And they were doing it in such a way that they were profiting and doing it in such a way that it was hampering the true purpose of the temple, which was to be a place of prayer. You remember what Jesus did. He took the cords and he ran them all out. And that was righteous anger for what was taking place in the very temple of God for blaspheming the very name of God in that place. Another place where Jesus was angry was at the tomb of Lazarus, you remember. You say, when was he angry at that? Well, the scripture says when he came and saw that the tomb of, came to the tomb of Lazarus and Lazarus was dead. The, the expressions there are expressions of anger in his spirit being troubled at death. Because it was contrary to life. Death makes us, made him angry because he came to, to give life and sin takes and causes death. Now he was going to restore the life, but still there was anger. In, the, in Jesus there. In fact, one author, a guy named B.B. B. Warfield, that I quote from time to time, an old Princetonian uh, theologian, uh, puts it uh, like, like this. He says that, that um, mercy is often the result not only of pity, but of anger. Because you see, in Jesus' miracles, very often he was merciful to those who were in need. Why? Because he was angry. He was angry about that which disabled them. He was angry over sin and its effects. So very often, mercy flows out of a situation where we see that's wrong and that righteously and correctly, we're angry about that situation, got angry about that situation, and mercy and compassion change flows very often from this. And if there's righteous anger and mercy comes out of it and compassion comes out of it and love comes out of it and, and forgiveness comes out of it, uh, all of that comes out of it that's good, you see, then, then that's really the ultimate effect of righteous. Anger, it brings justice out of injustice. It brings mercy out of cruelty. It brings understanding out of confusion. You see, that kind of good, righteous anger, God's kind of anger. And, and we can, even as human beings, uh, experience good anger. When there is injustice, it should make us angry, right? Uh, much that happens in the world in which we live, I, I don't think you can, as I've mentioned over and over you can read news feeds without a certain amount of anger. Why is this happening? How can why are people treating one another that way, whether it's racism or whether it's human trafficking or whether it's whatever it is that exists in the world that we live in? We can have this sense. Paul wants to talk about is how do we deal with that? How do we deal even with the righteous anger? Now we know, because we're human beings also, we know that sometimes that our anger is simply at the get-go, sinful. It's just simply wrong. And that comes from the fall, that comes from 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 our old self, if you will, that's attached to Adam. You remember the the primary sin in the Garden of Eden was when Satan said you can be like God, not to be godly, to be made in the likeness of God, but but you can take God's place. And so what happens is that there are times when we still think that we're God. And that everything that happens in life should suit us. And if it doesn't, then we just get angry, right? At the weather. You know? You'd be ticked off for half a day because of the weather. Right? (sighs) Who made you God? Oh, yeah, I know. Right? Um, Or when people don't meet your expectations. Uh, Maybe your expectations are a bit unrealistic, you see. Or maybe your anger is just simply selfish. I didn't get my own way. Or maybe it's because somebody actually pointed out something you had done wrong. And since you're God, how dare they point out anything you did wrong? And that makes us angry, even when they're right. You're right. You get defensive. You lie. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. And, and, and so, so we know that at the get-go, there are times when our anger in and of itself Can be sinful. We need to put it off. In fact, there's some, even as Paul writes here, for instance, in Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 31, I read it earlier. He said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He said, There's some anger that you just need to put away. Right? Just just put away. That sinful kind of anger. What Paul's after here is to help us understand, as I mentioned during our time of confession. That when, when when we get angry, it's always must always be with a yellow light. Must always be with a caution. Doesn't have to be a red one. Stop that. Might be. Doesn't have to be. But a cautious one. There isn't a passage that I know of in the scriptures that says, Love and do not sin. Because when we're loving, <laughs> we're reasonably far away from sin, I suppose. But there is this sense of be angry, yet do not do not sin. You see, and so we need to watch it. James even says, you might remember in James in chapter one, in verse nineteen. Sorry, I'm breaking in a new Bible. Um, James one nineteen, he writes, "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man doesn't produce." The righteousness of God. That is our sinful anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So we need to be very, very careful in the midst of it. And why is that? Why do we have to be careful with anger? Because if we're not careful, then it can turn into bitterness. It can turn, as Paul even writes in verse 31, into wrath and clamor and slander and malice. See, if we don't deal with it in the right way and we nurse it, after a while, the righteous, even the righteous anger that we have can sour us, make us bitter, can sour us against a person or even the situation and can make us so resentful that we live in this animosity towards a person or even in the context of a situation, and we find ourselves simply an ill-tempered person. Or as he puts it, even wrath, and that is human rage, that all we can do is lash out against it. Or clamor, which I'm so glad the ESV translated this as clamor because I can just hear pots and pans clamoring in the kitchen, you know? And That's what he means. He says we just we just shriek about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. We can't stop talking about it. It's just it's just the thing that that we make noise about all the time. It so affects our life that that we become fixated on this on this one thing. And then slander it leads us then to the point of of, of speaking that which is evil about others. And so we may be uh, angry about an injustice, and then we turn ourselves. And if our anger isn't dealt with in the right way, then we end up living unjustly towards others to speak that which is false about them, to speak evil about them, to ruin their lives, if you will. And then even that comes with malice and that is honestly a desire to ultimately do harm, whether it's harm verbally to their life and their reputation or whether it's harm physically. You remember Jesus when he said, um, you know, it's, you've heard it said you should murder. Well, I'm telling you, don't be angry. What he meant by that is that malice, murder starts with an anger that's nursed and fostered, so it festers in such a way that it moves from bitterness, to this, from this animosity, to real sinful anger, uh, to then wrath to then this sense of even slander and malice. And he says, so deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. Even before you you, you put your gift at the altar, deal with it uh, so that it doesn't move to this great extreme. That's what we're, we're dealing with, you see. So then Paul says, well, so if that's the case, if that's the tendency for us, then in fact, what should we do about it? Well, first he says this, um, uh, don't let the sun go down uh, on your anger. There have been times when Karen and I have been in a little bit of a, you know, tift. I've gotten angry and I said, how fast can I go west? You know, I want to stay with the sun as long <laughs> as I can. Uh, you know, <laughs> because, you know, and I envy those people who live in those those parts of the world where there's everlasting sun, where the sun doesn't go down and you go, wow, these people just be mad at everybody All the, Well, we know that it, it doesn't mean this literally necessarily, it's an idiom it just says deal with it quickly you may not be able to resolve it quickly with someone for instance, and, and maybe even wise, Just a note to married couples um, we read this sometime and you know, it's like 10.30 at night and we have this little problem and we go, oh rats, I'm going to be up till three, well it may be good Rather than handle this situation in your tiredness, to say, okay, let's handle this tomorrow, but let's be cool with each other right now, okay? We're not, we're just gonna, gonna truce it for a minute, and we're just, you know, we're gonna handle this tomorrow. I know, but the sun's already gone down, so, so maybe, uh, we can pick this up tomorrow, just the better part of wisdom. The deal is to handle it quickly. Don't let it, don't nurse it. Don't, 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 don't let it fester, if you will, uh, in, in your life. Um, take after it quickly. Even righteous anger. Be cautious of it. Even if it's good anger. You're, you're you're reading something in the paper. And there's some injustice. And you should be angry about it. And you are. But be careful that that anger doesn't go south. Careful that you don't nurse it in such a way. That you just become a bitter, angry person. Deal with it. Deal with it. a righteous kind of way but he says you must then deal with it quickly it might be a personal thing, it might be that you've been offended, honestly offended by somebody, someone's deceived you, somebody's abused you somebody's lied against you Uh, someone's hurt you, really it wasn't just you were too insensitive, it wasn't just that you had unmet expectations it wasn't just selfishness on your part but it really happened And, and so you're angry and he says okay all right, fine Yellow light, be cautious, deal with it in a good way. And then he gives us a warning, and he says, verse 27, and give no opportunity uh, to the devil. We see, just on its face, of course, that uh, the apostle believed in uh, literal devil, literal Satan and demons and all of that, that there is evil in the world. In fact, he he mentioned it uh, uh, various Times, uh, For instance, in chapter 1 and verse 21, he's speaking of Jesus, who's ascended far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and every name that it's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And you get a sense he's speaking of not just the powers on earth, but also spiritual powers as well. And then, of course, in chapter 6, he'll play his hand very honestly in verse 12 and There verse uh, 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what he's saying here by way of warning... Is that if you do nurse your anger and it does fester in you, and you don't deal with this quickly, you're giving the devil an opportunity. This very one who is powerful, but not sovereign. God is sovereign. It's powerful. It's one that the apostle Peter says to those who are suffering. He says to them, "Now, be watchful, be sober-minded, right? Because the devil is." prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So one of the results of not dealing with anger rightly and quickly is that it gives the devil an opportunity in the midst of this sinful anger to devour you, whatever that means. But whatever it means, it's not good. And so the Apostle wants us to, to see this and know this. In fact, you may be uh, aware of this passage in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 5, verse 5 through 11. But Paul is dealing with a situation there, you might remember, in the Corinthian church where there's been some who've sinned, and one particularly has sinned even against Paul, and, um, and the, the, the church disciplined this person. And so uh, now that the person has been disciplined adequately and all of that, Paul reminds them to forgive. Because if they don't forgive, notice what happens. He says, verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive indeed what I've forgiven if I've forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Because you see, our anger can get in such a way that even after we've disciplined If we don't forgive, even after we've disciplined, if we still harbor that anger in some way, and we don't forgive and move on, you say we don't forgive, then it gives Satan an opportunity. And what's the opportunity? Well, he comes in at that moment in time to make us an unforgiving people, just a disciplining people. And discipline that's been received and brought repentance, that doesn't bring forgiveness. It's deadly, and he knows that. So he says, "Ah, he's going, to unwit us. he's going to outwit us if we're not careful." So, so don't let him. And the same thing here. You remember that when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, <clears throat> that after Jesus um, withstood all of the temptations and uh, was faithful, you remember the Scripture says in Luke four thirteen, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Until an opportune time. And when was that opportune time? Well, there may have been a few throughout, we might see, but certainly in the midst of the anger of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, if you will, that, that in the midst of their anger against Jesus, the evil ones saw an opportune time. They became so bitter towards him. So angry, their wrath, their slander, we see it. Their blasphemy against him. And their malice to take him to the cross. And so, so you just get it. And it should, it should give us great pause, as the apostle tells us, to not give the evil one an opportunity. So, how should we handle this? <laughs> What should we do in the midst of this? well, first of all, just remember that uh, we 're of various temperaments right some people um, some people get angry very quickly, have what we call a short fuse, uh, other people perhaps a longer fuse. I think people and I'm one who's been known not to have a particularly short fuse. Mine's a bit longer. But sometimes I worry that mine's longer because I don't care as much. I really wonder sometimes. I mean, I, I admire quick-fused people, as long as it's not against me. But um, I admire them because at least it shows they care. They're moved by this. Sometimes, you know, I can just sort of ho-hum it. You know, well, you know, it's just another day. But I, 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 so I'm not anti-quick fused people. Some are, some aren't. Some express it, uh, quickly, externally. Um, You hear the clamoring pretty quickly. You know, you know, they're upset about something. Other people internalize it. Sometimes our anger is expressed in the proverbial silent treatment, which may be the most deadly of all treatments, because that basically says I've cut off relationship with you. We have nothing to do with each other anymore. Uh, Better, I suppose, at least in part, to externalize it, to at least express it so that people know that it's there. So however it is that you are uh, temperamentally, um, and then whatever you do with it, sometimes, as we know from the scripture, it's right for us if someone's offended us and we're hurt by them and it's even good anger that we're to go to them and we're to deal with it in that way. Clearly that's uh, appropriate, at least in certain measures if the anger is real and true and not selfish or overly sensitive and all those kinds of things. And there's some anger that's from such a deep place because the hurt is so deep that it may take a long time, even with the help of others, to come to grips with it and to deal with it. I didn't know what to do with it exactly. How do I proceed now? So what I want to give you is what I think Paul would have me give you, what the scripture would have you see here. And I'll show it to you in a minute from a passage. on how to, um, to begin. I want to give you a context, give us a context of how we deal uh, with this anger. And I'm going to use an expression Out of 1 Peter in chapter 2, it's a little bit out of context, but not entirely. 1 Peter chapter 2, where Paul is talking to those who are suffering. And he uses this expression of them, that they're to be mindful of God. To be mindful of God in the midst of their suffering. They're suffering unjustly. Turn there quickly so you know I'm not lying. 1 Peter, I wouldn't lie. But first, I might get it wrong, but I wouldn't lie. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, verse 18, servants, be subject of your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good, you suffer for it, and you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called because... Christ suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow. In his footsteps, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one or to him who judges justly. You see, Jesus was mindful of his father when he was being treated unjustly. Now, righteously, there, he would have been justified to be angry, And perhaps in some measure was. But mindful of God, you see. Mindful of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that these who were suffering, these slaves who were suffering unjustly at the hands of their masters, and remember slavery was different in that century than you might have it in your mind, but still, no no picnic. How were they to think of it? They were to, to understand it first, mindful of God. The reason I say that, is that very often when something happens, we're only mindful of ourselves and the situation. We're only mindful of ourselves and the other person. That's that's all we can see. That's the box we're in. And so I think the first move here is to, to open the lid and to see that God is here too. To be mindful of him. Now what does that do? Well I think a number of things. First when we're mindful of God. Even when the situation. Causes righteous anger. When we're mindful of God. We realize. That even still. In the midst of this situation. That no doubt. Makes him angry. Even in this situation still. He is sovereign. That doesn't make what happened righteous, injustice is unrighteous, and God is not the author of sin and all of that. And so, it doesn't make what happened righteous. But when we're mindful of God in the midst of this situation, we realize that God who is sovereign over this, could have prevented it but didn't, has an Good, righteous intention for his glory and our good. That allows us to breathe for a minute. Because I realize that God has an intention that's a good intention, that's a righteous intention, even in this unrighteous, unholy situation. All right? First thing. Then what happens? Well, all of a sudden, I see myself in the presence of God and the situation of the person, the unjust person, in in this situation as well. What does that mean? It means that I see myself as way closer to those who are unjust than I see myself to God inherently. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I find myself closer to them. Now, it may be true that I'm able to say I would never do what they've done. For instance, I trust I will never take part in a neo-Nazi march. (laughs) Uh, And and yet those make me very angry. And I trust God very angry. And I trust there's other things. I pray by the grace of God I never, never do. But honestly, I, I, I know inherently, as a sinful human being, that, that sin is within me. And when I see that, it humbles me. And I realize that if God's grace hadn't been upon me in a particular way, that perhaps I could be with those people that now, with whom now I'm angry or have been a part of that situation that now has made me angry and made God angry. But, but I, I, I see that. And I've told you before that when I'm with people and we're talking and people are sharing about their lives and even confessing their sins to me, that I learned early on that I can always build a bridge between my life and their sins well, I may have never done it or done it like that. Maybe never thought it or thought it like that. Said it, said it like that. I can always, frankly, build a bridge between my life and their life. And that humbles. And I trust produces with us a particular kind of gentleness as well. And then you see Whatever I do, whether I confront or don't confront or whether I address it or don't address it or get involved in something or don't get involved in, that that, that anger hasn't been nursed as anger, but now has been brought into the presence of God. Because now I'm mindful of God. The, the fear is I just see me and the situation... And my self-righteousness grows, thus my pride grows, and my arrogance grows, and I pit myself against them in such a way as as I become bitter against them, and sour, and and angry, and and to such a degree that all I want to do is destroy them eventually. Right? I'm mindful of, of God, that he's sovereign. His intention is good for his glory, and the good of his people and then in humility I can identify and I know that I've been forgiven you know the parable that Jesus told about the man who owed another man billions and was forgiven and then he went out and found someone who owed relatively speaking him a very little amount And wouldn't forgive, threw him into prison. And that made Jesus angry. Would forgive as we've been forgiven. Mindful of God. Turn to Psalm number four, please. Psalm number four. Here's a situation where the psalmist finds himself uh, having been lied against and treated unjustly. And so David writes this, this psalm. This poem, this song about the situation. So verse one. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So remember, we'll see in a minute, that he's being shamed, that he's being lied against. But he's mindful of God in the midst of this. And he knows that God has come to his help, to his aid before. He says, you've given me relief when I was in distress. So now he prays that God would be gracious to him in this situation. So verse 2 begins this situation, verses, verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek After lies you see that's the situation so he's clearly being treated unjustly clearly has the right if you will To be angry in this situation and his anger would be righteous, but he's mindful of God Then verse 3 but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself The Lord hears when I call to him so so I'm not alone I'm mindful of God and I know that God will help me God will hear me in the midst of this situation And then he says in verse 4 something we're very familiar with he says be angry And do not sin. That's his counsel to all those who find themselves in the same spot where David finds himself as one who's being treated unjustly and being shamed. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In other words, be quiet for a minute. Be mindful of God. Um. Ponder in your own hearts who God is. Ponder in your own hearts who you are. Ponder in your own heart the grace that's been given to you. Ponder in your own heart the very um, uh, grace of God to come to your aid. Be silent. That isn't to say you'll never say anything about this or any of that, but that's a, a, a word that says meditate, right? Meditate. Ponder in your own heart, offer right sacrifices, which is to say, come to the Lord, confess your sins and put your trust in the Lord. Then verse six, and here's kind of the inclination, if you will, of people in this situation. He says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? In other words, you're in this situation and it's only bad. And you go, then I guess... You know, God will never show me any good. I'll never see any good ever. So maybe we should just yell and scream and look out for ourselves here. Uh, how can this show any good in this situation? Well, then he says, "We'll lift up the light of your face. Upon us, O Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And what he's saying is that even in this situation where I'm being unjustly treated, or even in this situation where injustice is happening, what I know to be true is that there's more joy in my life from you in this situation than if I had all the wine and grain there was to have. Because you're with me. I'm living mindful of God. And then he said, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now I think once we find ourselves there, then we can deal with the situation in a godly way. Once we find ourselves there, we can find ourselves being able to deal with the person who hurt us or treated us unjustly or whatever. Then, then then, we'll be able to deal with that. That God will lead us in the right way. But until we've been mindful of God in the midst of the situation, our anger is likely to kill us, to devour us. So we must be cautious. And I think what will happen then in being mindful of God is verse 31 And 32 will happen. We'll let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with malice, and we'll be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ. Forgave us. I don't know about your life, whether you would think yourself to be an angry person or not. Some are, some aren't. I know I don't want to end up like the Muppet characters, Stadler and Ward, uh, Waddle, Waldorf. I want to say Stadler and Hilton, but there are two other hotels, Stadler and uh, and uh, Waldorf. You know those Muppet characters that sit up and, and criticize everything all the time just because they're just bitter about all of life, that nothing is good, and they just said that You can just tell... Blah blah, blah 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 They're just complaining all the time. It's because they're not mindful of God. Well, they're Muppets, but they're, mind, they're not mindful of God, right? They don't even know who they are in the presence of God, in the presence of others, you see. They haven't seen it. So they're just angry all the time. And so, you see, the hope for us is that we have this one Jesus. We have this one Jesus who lived perfectly. All his anger was righteous and good. And all his anger was righteous and good for a number of reasons, one of which was to cover for our unrighteous anger. Everywhere where we've been unrighteously angry, Jesus has been righteously angry. And and so we can live it. And then he took the sin of our unrighteous anger to the cross and paid its penalty. So as our dear friend Jerry Bridges used to say, we're justified. We live just as if we've never sinned and we live just as if we've always obeyed. That is astounding, you see. And we know that when He took our sin to the cross and He nailed it there, it died, we died, and now we're raised to newness of life to live. So our hope is, as we cling to the cross, as we say, as we cling to what Christ has done, then what? Then He transforms us so that we can live as people whose anger is righteous and whose anger doesn't get the best of us and whose anger doesn't cause us to sin, you see. As I get older, and I am, I think, last I looked in the mirror, as I get older, you see, I want to be able to say that the Lord has made me kinder, gentler, more merciful, more compassionate, more forgiving over the course of my life. That rather than finding myself a crotchety old guy, judgmental and critical and angry, I find myself gentle and humble and kind and gracious. And that's the good hope that we have. And so I hope, this will never happen, but I hope if my grandchildren ever crawl up on my lap and say, Pop, how'd you get like this? I can simply say, because of Jesus, you see. Because of him. That he's the one who did this work. And he can do it in you faster than he did it in me. If If you trust him. That's our hope. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Let's pray. Father, you pray for us, for me, for all of us. that We would live in such a way, please. I would glorify you. That we would live in true righteousness and holiness. And thus we would be able to live in unity with each other. Because our anger wouldn't destroy the unity that the spirit has already brought. That we would be a kind people, we would be a forgiving people, we would be a gracious people, we would be a merciful people, we would be an understanding people, and we would be a righteous people. So please, brother, I pray that you would work all of that into us. In Jesus' name, amen.